Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of About Abroad, where it's my job to introduce you to people who have built amazing lives for themselves in various foreign corners of the globe. We're talking with expats and thought leaders about moving abroad, remote work, visas, and all the fun and practical knowledge that you need to know to follow in their footsteps. If you've ever dreamed of making a life for yourself overseas, maybe working remotely or embracing long-term travel, retiring or studying abroad, or even just taking a peek inside life beyond your borders, you've landed in the right place. This episode is brought to you by my friends over at Make My Move. Many of you are already aware that there are places around the world that want to attract remote workers to come and live there. But did you know that some of them will actually pay you to do so? Yeah, that's right. And aside from the cash incentives these towns might offer you, there are other incredible benefits ranging from free babysitting to concert tickets and even free healthcare. These places also make a terrific home base for digital nomads with super fast internet, friendly neighbors, and affordability in close proximity to major airports. In fact, the remote workers who relocate typically say save around $20,000 per year by moving to these new communities. But perhaps most importantly, the locals in those communities are truly excited to welcome new movers in and get them plugged into the local network. The problem is, where do you start? But luckily, Make My Move is your one-stop shop for all things related to these towns. Since 2021, they've helped more than 1,000 remote workers and their families relocate, and through their platform, you can explore all the places that are offering incentives to come and live there, get personalized help to find the place that's right for you, connect with the locals, super important, and access support services to actually make the move a reality. Take advantage of all the benefits that come with your location independence by checking out makemymove.com via the link in the show notes. My guest today is Allison Baxley. You may remember her because she is a returning guest here on About Abroad. The first time she stopped by, she had just moved her entire family from the U.S. to Portugal, and about a year and a half later, they are completely thriving there in Portugal. Portugal is a country that needs no introduction for people that listen to this this show, you know it's one of the most popular places in the world to move to. And they have some exciting new visa options in a digital nomad visa and the D7 visa, which we touched on last time and we'll touch on again here a little bit in this episode. But Allison's become a true pro and one of the leaders in this space, helping people make the move abroad and make a life for themselves in Portugal. So she has some exciting things coming up on the horizon that we get into. We talk about the differences between the D7 visa and then Portugal digital nomad visa, as well as a few things you may want to keep in mind if you're considering making the move abroad with a family and or to Portugal. So a lot packed into this one. I had a blast with it and I hope you will as well. Please help me in welcoming Allison back to About Abroad. Yeah, I know uh, last time we spoke, you were just kind of getting settled. Like you had literally just gone through the whole process of moving the family all the way to Portugal. And um, and so I've been personally like really looking forward to catching up with you now. I think it's been a, a year or so. And um, I know you've got some exciting stuff going on, but like just generally speaking, how's how's life in, in Portugal so far? Um, honestly, I remember the last time we did this, I was sitting on the floor because I didn't have a couch and I had to plug into the wall. So I was literally sitting on the hardwood floor chatting with you for an hour. And I just remember thinking, oh, if people could see me right now, this would be um, an interesting interview. But uh, life in Portugal is great. We are just absolutely loving it. And um, the sun is finally starting to come out more consistently. So I think we're fully into spring mode and just ready to enjoy the summer. I hear you. Yeah, I think uh, I I just did my first winter out of Spain in five years. So I was living on the Iberian Peninsula also, and like I think people just assume it's just you know sunny and beautiful all year round, and and it is relative to a lot of places, um, but not necessarily like you know as sunny and warm and tropical as people might think. Um, but nonetheless, I just did a winter in Germany. And uh, yeah, I found myself missing the the Iberian sun a little bit. <laughs> I have to admit, it was getting a little rough there. By the time March rolled around, I was uh, I was kind of like, all right, I, I think I'm done with winter. Uh, yeah, I don't know where you were in Germany, but I spent a winter in Berlin, and no, thank you, I'm done with that. <laughs> yeah, I've Definitely been down to done. the. 
in the south of Germany and like it's it's considered like the sunniest area of of Germany, um, which people always laugh at if I if I say that because locals are very proud of that. Like people say, oh, no, you know, it's the it's the sunniest place in all of Germany. But like when I tell like a, a Spanish friend that like they just can't help but laugh. They're like, oh, like, quote unquote, sunny in Germany. OK, um, but it, it actually is. It is pretty good. Or, or, and I think probably pretty different from like the the north. But um but anyway, yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And um, maybe we should give a little bit of context because not everybody that's listening to this episode uh, might have heard the first episode that we did with you, although there will be a link to that in the show notes. So if you enjoy this one and you want to go deeper on Allison's background, um, that, that episode's there for you. But for, for people tuning in for the first time right now, maybe let's just give a little synopsis of like, uh, like you, your situation, the 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 whole family dynamic and and what brought you guys to Portugal. Yeah, we moved to Portugal in July of 2021, um, and this was following uh, a promise for a job that would take us to Budapest for one year that fell through because of COVID. When the whole world shut down, this opportunity went away, and during lockdowns and you know too many. Um, hours spent locked up in a small Brooklyn apartment, we decided, you know, even without this job opportunity, we were going to figure out a way to live in Europe, that we were ready for a change and um, something had to had to change. So we started having a quick conversation about where we might want to move. And in about five minutes, we had decided on Portugal based on a couple trips that we had had previously. Um, and then we had to backtrack and, and figure out how to make it all happen. But yeah, in about five minutes, we thought that's the, our favorite place that we've ever been. Let's move there. Awesome. And you guys have a, it's not just you and a, and, and a partner. I mean, you guys have a full tribe that you're traveling with. Uh, correct. Correct. We have two young kids. Uh, my daughter just turned seven in October and my son just turned four. And it's crazy to think that she was five when we moved here. It's like, it kind of blows my mind a little bit to think that it was that long ago. But yeah, this, this first two years has just really flown by coming up on two years in July. How about the kids? Are they, are they enjoying it as much as, as you are? Like if they settled in and, and found using the word tribe again, like kind of found their tribe and in, in their way. Absolutely. They, we love the school that we chose for them. Um, so that was a big part of them feeling really comfortable here, but um, yeah, they're practically fluent in Portuguese already and <laughs> blow my mind all the time with what they're able to do. Um, and yeah, they, they just are absolutely loving it. We just got back from a three city, three country trip during their spring break. And we've taken pretty big trips several times this year, bigger than we did the first year, because we mostly stuck around Portugal and explored more locally. But We've been trying to make it to a few more countries this year. And we constantly just tell ourselves, but also say to them, like, just look at this life that we've created. I mean, the opportunities that we have to just go to three new countries in the span of 10 days. Not everybody gets to do that. It's mind blowing sometimes, isn't it? Like I, I, uh, I feel so fortunate and say almost those exact same words um, to like my wife and I will be talking about that. Just saying like, this was exactly what we set out to want to do and like we're we're actually doing it now and it's sometimes like just life sets in you just start kind of going through the motions sometimes but you got to back up and really respect the fact that wow you made this happen because i mean it's not it's not terribly hard in terms of it's not impossible i mean and it could be more challenging like we have uh you know access to internet there are we have passport privilege in a lot of ways there's you know it, it's accessible to us to to move abroad um talking about your situation my situation you know a lot of people listening um but it's also you know not for the faint of heart and and can be pretty challenging and uh so you have to make it happen and take a lot of initiative and maybe take some make some sacrifices but once you're living it and once you're in the midst of it you're just you're you do have to sometimes step back and just really appreciate that. Like, yeah, this is my reality now. And, and it was exactly what I wanted. And that's pretty awesome. Absolutely. I mean, of course there are days where it's harder than you would prefer, but when I think back to, 
um, the grind that we were in living in New York and just how many free hours we have during the week to explore and enjoy just the life that we have here. There's no comparison. Yeah, it takes work for sure. I mean, to get here takes work. It took us at least six months to really feel like we'd settled in. But by that one year mark, I remember I wrote some kind of Instagram post on that one year mark. And um, I just remember it saying something along the lines of this is where we are are meant to be right now. Um, And just how everything had sort of aligned in that first year uh, in such great ways. So um, heading into year, the end of year two, like it's only gotten better. I would say the only falsity to that would be, or fallacy to that would be, it's gotten a little more real in the fact that, you know, you're still working, you're still having to get your daily chores done and things like that. So a little bit of the luster has sort of um, lost its shine. But at the same time, what I call work is, you know, me sitting at home and creating amazing content for people. Whereas before I was sitting in an office, you know, 10 hours a day creating content for other companies. So, you know, take everything with a grain of salt, but it's, it's so great here that you sometimes forget that you are, you know, still responsible for getting everything done every day. Yeah, no, right. Like that, that that novelty really does wear off, and I and it can be challenging at times because I don't know if this is the case for you, but like uh, like in my experience, once that novelty and that that luster wears off, and you do find yourself sort of just going through the motions in the day to day, but also having to deal with let's say visa stuff or. Uh, tax stuff because you're dealing with two different countries now or um, you know trying to navigate the bureaucracy of a foreign place in a language that you don't understand and it's just frustrating or things are just done differently that you than you would have expected them to be done um, you know things that back home would just be like second nature you just know how this works uh, that can that can really start to wear on people and and it can go from like dream life to okay, novelty's worn off to actually, this isn't my dream at all anymore. <laughs> and I've seen people go through that, that cycle. I think you kind of have to pers- persevere and come out of it and to, to get back to enjoying the dream life. Um, but, uh, but I, I don't know if that's, if that's kind of happened for you or not, but I have seen quite a few people kind of go through that, that cycle. Uh, not for us yet, but I will say, I mean, just the other day, I think it's been a few months now, a new Facebook group popped up that was all about the people who had moved to Portugal and who had either moved home or were planning to move home and the reasons why and all of that. And I thought, yeah, I guess for some people, like it's just not, not what they expected or not as good as they wanted, or it's more expensive than they thought it would be. Um, there's a few reasons, uh, people choose to move home in general, but, um, Yeah, I think for me, it's more, okay, well, now that we've settled in, we've bought the furniture, we've taken the vacations, the day to day, like you you still can get stuck in this sort of repetitive routine of the day to day. And uh, I mean, even for myself, my husband will tell me all the time, you need to get outside and go get some sun in your eyes for a minute. Because I'll just sit here and work all day. And, uh, you know, just keep trying to pump out more and more great stuff for my audience. And it's just, it can take over if you let it. But I have to remind myself, the reason I'm here is so that I can actually enjoy life every day and not just on the weekends. So I, I do have to force myself to um, remember that on a daily basis and go outside and stand by the pool and do some yoga in the morning and things like that. But I just get so excited about what I'm able to do here now that I'm my own boss. So I, it's hard for me to, to stop because it, you know, there's never nothing on my to-do list. It's always something, another article I want to publish, another interview I want to do, another trip I want to take. I mean, there's so many things. So we, we tend to fill our time. Uh, that's the thing is like you, you obtain a lot of free time when you, 
uh, when you move from a place like Brooklyn to Portugal, <laughs> I think, in, in general, you would expect like your number of hours or, you know, your, your cost of living is going to go down your the number, therefore, the number of hours you have to work should go down. Um, and then what are you going to do with that, that free time? A lot of us tend to naturally fill it with, with more work, just a different way to produce more stuff. And, um, hopefully if that's the case, you can, there's one of like two ways you can go about that. I think ideally like one is you, uh, you figure out how to just do work that you thoroughly enjoy. So you're not really differentiating between, what you love, what your uh, life is and what your work is. And then the other is that you actively work to try to reduce that temptation and, uh, and just sit and, and do nothing or sit and enjoy or what, you know, what you, what you came to enjoy about that place. Um, but a lot of us will, if we don't put some checks and balances in place, I think we'll end up just like filling that void with, with something else. So, um, I think it's, it's important. Like you're, you're obviously like cognizant of that. And I've had to learn to be cognizant of that because I, I hear people all the time, like in Spain to be like, man, tranquilo, like, you know, you, you don't have to be the first one in the last one out <laughs> all the time. And, uh, it's just, it's kind of baked into us, I think. I mean, definitely the American mindset, I think when it comes to work is, you know, work, 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 work. But um, I mean, perfect example. I was in the Algarve this last weekend because I had um, been asked to speak at a conference on Friday, but I had to go down the night before. So I got a hotel room for two nights. And the first night I just worked in the hotel room. I got in fairly late in the evening anyway. So I worked in the hotel room. I got up the next morning. I went and did my presentation. But of course, um, with everything I have going on right now, I have a lot of other things I needed to get done. And, you know, being alone in a hotel room is the perfect place for me because I don't have my kids asking me for things. Um, you know, I just really could buckle down and get some stuff done. But I still forced myself, forced, I say forced, I forced myself to go to the beach for an hour and a half, have a beer, sit on the beach for an hour and a half and just enjoy the fact that I was in the Algarve and it was, you know, 85 degrees outside. So. Yes, I could have just sat in the hotel room and finished up, you know, my daily to-do list, but instead I I made myself go enjoy it, which sounds silly, but um I said even to my husband, I said I'm going to go to the beach because I think I'll hate myself if I don't. Like I need to get out of this hotel room and put the computer down for a minute and go enjoy where I'm at. So that's a, that's such a cool part of the uh of the country too, isn't it? That that's the southern coastline there along the south of Portugal is just incredibly beautiful. I think Lisbon gets a lot of the attention, like, but but that south southern part, the Algarve, is insane. Yeah, it's amazing, and there are so many different little towns and pockets to discover. And I was in an area that I'd never been before, and there was a beach literally three hundred meters away from the hotel that you just walk down some stairs to get to. So, I mean, it would have been silly of me to to waste that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just actually, just so everybody knows you guys moved, did you move to the Lisbon area? I actually remind myself, are you in the, where where are you guys? I'm in the Lisbon district. Yeah. I'm in the Lisbon district in a town called Kashkaj, which is all the way on the Western side of the Lisbon district. Uh, so basically if you start driving out of Lisbon and head West, if you get to the Atlantic ocean, you've gone just a little bit too far. So it's right. It's right on the coast. Um, it goes uh, along the coastline, leaving Lisbon. So you follow the coastline along more of the bay side of things, and then Cascais um, is kind of on the corner. If you were to keep going and turn up toward um, Sintra, going north. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty beautiful part of the country as well. And Cascais, uh, I think, is becoming pretty popular with, with people moving abroad, I guess, like maybe something you can shed some perspective on because a lot of people are talking about this with Portugal in particular, you know, Portugal came this like poster child for how to attract foreigners with the right visas and tax incentives and stuff like that. And it's really helped rejuvenate the, the, uh, um, economy in a lot of ways, but also for locals, there's, there's a lot of complaining about the rising, um, cost of living and, and things like that. And so, 
there's kind of two parts to this. It's more of just like a statement and curious to hear your thoughts than it is like a question. But um, you're seeing people move kind of to the outskirts of Lisbon because it has become more expensive and or you just want like a different style of life. Um, and and so you hear pl about places like Cascais, for example, which are becoming really popular. Uh, and uh, you're seeing a lot of foreigners move to those those areas sort of outside of uh, of Lisbon, I think Sintra is another place people really like. So has that been your experience or have you had any like, um, like interactions with some of these things that I'm talking about? Yeah, I think when you're here, it's, it's like American news in general, when you see it on the TV all day, every day, it feels like that's, it's the way it has to be right now. Right. Because that's what everybody's saying. Yes, I think it's true that uh, the locals are having some issues because there are so many people coming in from outside of Portugal, um, particularly housing prices and rental prices. Um, locals are getting priced out of the neighborhoods that they've lived in for decades, which is a big problem. Um, you know, the government did, like you said, they were the poster child for attracting foreigners and they did a really good job of it. And now they haven't adjusted the way the country's run based on the fact that there's more money coming in from the outside, more wealthy people coming in from outside of Portugal. And so it's affecting the locals. And, um, I've been a part of two documentaries now that this is sort of the, the byline, right? <laughs> like, you know, local Portuguese people being pushed out by wealthy foreigners. Like, okay, yes, but yes and no. <laughs> um, Lisbon is quite expensive when it comes to, I mean, particularly real estate, purchasing real estate, unless you are very wealthy coming in, like you're not going to find great deals in Lisbon. Um, but you're probably not going to find great deals in Cascais either. It's notorious for being one of the, the wealthiest um, areas in Portugal. And, but it's, I just had to do this presentation. It was all about Cascais. And I was shocked actually, because the population is about 200 K, but only 10 K of those people are foreigners. So it's really popular with locals as well, particularly the wealthier Portuguese, um, people, um, like to, um, settle here because it has a bit more laid back feel than, than Lisbon. But yeah, coming from Brooklyn, we, we're paying astronomical rent prices and we were just tired of the hustle and bustle of city life, which I never thought I would say, I thought I'd be a city girl for life, but I um, can't remember if I said this in our original interview or not, but uh, I feel like I settled basically in my hometown, but just the one that exists in Portugal because it's just, I came from a small fishing. Yeah. Yeah. I came from a small fishing village, touristy town in, in South Texas on the Gulf coast. So this is very similar, although bigger than my home, much bigger than my hometown, but, um, yeah, it feels very familiar and yet in such a great way, it's very different. Yeah. That, uh, that change, that combination of like change plus familiarity is, is, uh, really dynamic, I think, because we're always looking for something new and exciting. I mean, a lot of the, the type of people that come on this show, the type of people that tend to move abroad, like there's some adventurous spirit there that like just that thirst that has to be quenched. But at the same time, you're looking for something where you feel at home. Like if you're going to make it your home, if you're not just passing through for a couple weeks or months or something, but if you're going to like settle in, you want it to feel like a place that you can, you can actually live and uh, finding that like equilibrium can be pretty tough. Although it's a big world, there's a lot of options and more and more options for this. It's still like you trying to find that, that place is, uh, is, is elusive sometimes. So that's awesome. I'm, I'm happy that, you know, the first time we spoke, like you, like you said, you were just getting there and we weren't really sure how it was going to go. You were excited. Um, but, uh, but it sounds it like a, it's, it, it's worked out. It has worked out really, really well. We absolutely love it. We have no plans to leave anytime soon. We're actually going back to the States for about six weeks over the summer. And I'm nervous about it because not that I don't think I want to be there. Of course, I want to go and see my family and friends and, you know, stock up on a couple of things that I haven't found good replacements for here yet, things like that. But um, I've just heard so many people talk about 
after having been here for a while and then they go back to the States, by the time they get back to Portugal, they're so relieved to be home and, and that that hits them in a totally different way because they think of Portugal as home. I've heard it countless times from people who, you know, go back to the States for a bit and then come back to Portugal and they think, wow, this, this is home. It feels that way. And it is. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that feeling when we get back. I get that feeling even when we go on vacation for when we were gone for 10 days. It's like, ah, it's so nice to be home. Um, But we'll have to see how I feel after coming back from the States. I think it's going to be the same. Yeah, I, I've, uh, I've had some of this as well. And there's also like a little bit of guilt that comes with that. I think sometimes where you, um, you feel like sort of guilty that you feel relieved to be quote unquote home when you just left your quote unquote real home. Um, and, and there's something about that, like you're leaving, you know, you're leaving behind the, the people that you, your loved ones, your family, your, your roots in a lot of ways. And then you're going to this like totally foreign place where you feel more at home. And there's, there's something very weird about that. Like uh, you, you can't help, but kind of feel a bit guilty. Um, hopefully you can shrug it off, but like, I, I, I know for a lot of people, that's a reality for sure. And that definitely happens with me as well. I do. Yes. I can totally understand that feeling. I, I think the guilt, even when we moved away, although we had done it several times before it was still, you know, there was some permanence to it that was different than all the other times we had lived abroad. So there was a little bit of, or I guess a lot, a lot more guilt because of that feeling. We knew that this was something that was not going to be sort of a a short-term temporary stay. But yeah. And I think part of what happens when, when you feel that guilt is you're assuming that, the people you're leaving feel a certain way about you leaving. Um, and maybe they don't understand why you want to be so far away. Why do you, why do you not want to be in the United States? Why do you, you know, want to start over in a strange country with, you know, not knowing anyone and and not knowing what life is going to be like over there. So it's, I think the the misunderstanding of the reasons why people leave sometimes gives them even more guilt um, because it's hard to say some things to some people. So you can't say, I don't want to be here because X, Y, and Z. Um, You just kind of have to chalk it up to say, I'm off on the next adventure and I'm always going to come back and see you, but I'll be over there for a while. (laughs) We'll be right back to the show after a quick break for a note from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by my good friends over at Greenback Tax, the very best in U.S. expat tax services and the company that I've trusted to handle my tax situation since I moved abroad in 2015. Greenback is 100% focused on helping U.S. expats with their taxes. And to date, they filed almost 50,000 returns for nearly 15,000 happy customers like me living in more than 200 different countries around the world. After seven years working together, I can say with confidence that they make one of the most painful parts of life abroad an absolute breeze with their automated systems that store all of your information for you to make tax filing easy year after year and the friendly advisors who you actually have a working relationship with. There are no robots over at Greenback. Best of all, everyone is a CPA or enrolled agent with a specialty in U.S. expat taxes, which means they know exactly how to help you take advantage of some incredible tax breaks because you're living abroad, not in spite of it. As of January 23rd, tax season has officially arrived, so it's time to get started. Learn more about Greenback Tax today by visiting Greenback taxservices.com via the link in the show notes. Hey guys, if you're still around and enjoying this episode, then I think you might like my buddy Matt Bowles podcast as well. He hosts the Maverick show and he's also a former guest here on About Abroad, telling very similar stories, bringing in people from around the world that he meets on his travels as he runs his location independent business from various foreign corners of the world. If you guys are enjoying About Abroad, I'm pretty sure you'll like his show. So go over to the show notes, check it out and give it a listen. I think you'll like it. I think there's a big thing about like, um, it's easier to explain to someone. I've thought about this a lot. It's a good point. Like, uh, it's easier to explain to someone when you're running to something than it is if you're running from something. And that's when you, when you say, and, and like, that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily need to be like super hyperbolic, like running away from a terrible situation back home. Like if you're just genuinely excited about, Oh man, I'm going to go live in Portugal for a couple of years because that sounds awesome versus like, 
you know, I'm kind of in a rut here or I've, you know, I've lost my job or I'm working too much and I need to leave this behind to go find something else. The, the when you're trying to explain to people the what you're leaving behind part as if that's the motivator, I find that that's really hard for people to relate to because everybody's kind of living in that world, right? And so they're like, well, I don't need to leave this. Why do you feel the need to leave this? Like, um, I think they have a little bit less understanding of that, but people genuinely or generally understand the the type of person who's like, oh, I'm just like adventurous and I just need to go. Like, I got to go experience what it's like to live in Portugal and I want to learn Portuguese and I need a year or two abroad. Um, I think people tend to get that a bit more, but in either case, you're going to have people, I, I'm, I'd be curious to hear if this was your case, but like I had lots of people, uh, the first couple, we moved abroad a handful of times and like the first couple times it was very like, uh, like almost like having an intervention, like, what are you doing? <laughs> you're leaving this, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so anyway, it, it can be challenging. I do think that on you know, the adventurous people that just need to get out and go live somewhere else for a couple of years. I think the reason people understand that more a lot of times is because, oh, it's just a personality thing. This is what they like to do. You know, they're adventurous, you know, let them be them. But yeah, when it's the other half of it, when you say I'm leaving because of these negative things um, that are here, it almost feels like a judgment against the people that are staying. And I think that's why it's harder to talk about. And it's also harder to voice. Um, I wrote an article actually at one point after one of the school shootings, I was, I felt very triggered. We were, we were already here, but these are the types of things that just continue to happen. And my daughter was having lockdown drills in school in kindergarten. Um, and it was just something that I just, I couldn't imagine her having to keep doing that year after year after year. And yet nothing else was happening to solve the problem. So I mean, that wasn't a motivating factor necessarily, but it was a really nice bonus that this is something we can leave behind. Um, but I wrote an article called The Six Reasons Americans Are Leaving the U.S. or something like that. And that article blew up because there was, I got so many responses um, and comments just saying, thank you for finally vocalizing these things because so many people, and on the other hand, I had a lot of people say, you know, I'm going to Portugal because it's great and I'm not running from something. I'm running to something. I'm like, I talk about all that stuff elsewhere on the blog, all the reasons that are positive and why, but this is one article just highlighting here are six things that Americans deal with on a daily basis that I just am very happy to not have to deal with anymore. I could imagine what some of them are because uh, I know there's people listening right now that were they've they've written into me. Uh, I get a lot of emails related to this, um, saying you know these are the reasons why I'm looking to get out, uh, and, and with various questions attached to them. Um, and so I can imagine what some of them are, but I'm just curious to hear like what what were some of those those other bullet points that that pop up that are motivating people to leave. Um, the cost of healthcare, um, healthcare in the United States is just, it's a crime, really. It's a crime against humanity. It's terrible. And, um, rising costs, well, I guess just really high cost of education. Um, knowing that my kids can go to college over here pretty much anywhere in the EU and pay a couple thousand bucks a, a year when they'd be spending that on books in the US on top of everything else um, is just one of those why moments. Like, why does it have to be like this? Um, can, can I mention something on the on the healthcare thing? Let, let me uh, let me mention something on the healthcare thing because this is one of the this is usually top like three um, along with, you know, I am terrified for my kids going to school kind of thing and, uh, and, you know, cost of education. So these are similar bullet points. The healthcare thing is, is, uh, is something we've talked about some here on about abroad. Uh, but you know, for, for someone who's maybe tuning in for the first time, like there's a misconception sometimes that uh, you get what you pay for. So, 
people will say to me like, oh yeah, that's, I know healthcare is expensive in the US, but like we have some of the best healthcare in the world. Um, so the presumption is, is that when you go abroad somewhere and that healthcare is really cheap, um, that you are getting a lesser quality or you get it at a much slower rate. Like, um, you know, people say, oh yeah, but you have to wait, you know, six months for, for a, a surgery that, you know, in the US you could get in a day or two. Um, and like, generally speaking, I've just found all of that to be completely false. Like that is, that is not true. Um, I've been, I've had healthcare done in Latin America and in Asia and, and certainly in Europe, um, where like, for example, like I don't mind sharing in, in Spain for my family, we pay like around $120 a month for private health insurance that covers everything, um, without like any deductibles, any coinsurance, no, uh, no extra fees. Like you just, I almost never have to pay anything out of pocket. Um, and we pay around $120 a month. So like, that's like, and the healthcare is really good. Like it's high quality. You're at like nice hospitals, nice doctor's offices. You can communicate in your native language in English if you want. Um, and, uh, it's just, and it's, it's all very like technologically savvy. And so there is no trade off there. It is just a net positive gain. Um, in almost every part of the world that I've experienced. And so, you know, if you have that in your mind, if you're listening and wondering if that's the kind of thing keeping you back, like do a bit more research on that, because generally I find that that is just totally uh, a falsehood that, that has been spread for some reason. I would agree. I've, I have a few stories that I could maybe tell really quickly, but just port, uh, healthcare in Portugal is extremely cheap for a family of four. And we don't have the top tier plan because we didn't think we needed it. But even if I had the top tier plan, it'd probably be, a, you know, 10 or 20 euros more a month, something like that. But we pay 91 something a month for a family of four. And I mean, honestly, we came from a situation in the States where our healthcare costs were were much lower than most people because my husband works in the film industry and they have a special plan that they get. Um, so that wasn't a driving factor for us, but I know people who pay, you know, thousands of dollars every month and then still pay out of pocket on, you know, made any major uh, incidents that they have. So it's, it's just frustrating to know that people could lose their home, lose their kids, college education money, you know, if they were to get sick at the wrong time. Uh, and that would never happen here. It just wouldn't happen. It, nobody's going to lose their life. Yeah. Nobody's going to lose their livelihood because they can't pay to be taken care of. Um, but two quick uh, stories about healthcare, just um, abroad, I guess. We were in the UK and my daughter had a dental emergency and we had to, we called the universal healthcare number, talked to two nurses and two doctors, got a prescription, didn't end up making an appointment, but basically had these appointments over the phone and then got a prescription for some antibiotics that we went to pick up at the pharmacy and there was absolutely no charge. And we don't even live in the UK. But this is just like standard care that they give people because we're humans and we need it. Um, and then recently, um, we were in Turkey and I had a dental emergency, which um, it was New Year's Eve and I had a crown pop off and I had to go get it fixed. I mean, New Year's Day, nobody's going to be open. We are traveling from Istanbul to Cappadocia the next day. Like, I don't even know how to find a dentist. I had to talk to my Airbnb host. Anyway, long story short, I go to the dentist, I get it glued back down or whatever they do. And I go to the desk to pay. I say, Oh, I have travel insurance. Let me get my policy. She goes, well, you'll probably just have to, to put in a claim and get reimbursed. I said, okay, how much is it? 15 euros. I'm like, Oh my God, never mind. <laughs> Never mind. But like an emergency, yeah, an emergency appointment, you know, fairly major issue. Um, and I was seen the same day, New Year's Eve day, and it was 15 euros. 
to be taken care of. I mean, it, it's just wild that like, if you had to do that in the United States with no insurance, if you could even find someone to take care of you without having like local insurance, you're still talking about hundreds, if not thousands of dollars out of pocket. Uh, yeah. Um, so, so, so funny you mentioned this. So, okay. When I, the, the first time we moved abroad after moving abroad, the first time we went back to the U S for about a year. And during that time we didn't have you, like when we first got back, we didn't have any sort of U S health insurance or dental insurance. We, and we had previously had like company sponsored health insurance and stuff. So we had all that stuff covered. So it was our first time being like, okay, we're in the U S we have to figure out how to like pay for this stuff out of pocket or get insurance. And we just started investigating that. And we tried, we could not find a dentist that would take us that would like just to do like a routine cleaning without insurance. Um, the one that finally would was going to charge $1,500 for per person just to like come through the door. And if we needed any uh, major medical work, I don't remember the exact numbers, but if it was like, if you needed like a root canal, for example, that was one of the things that we had asked about um, it was going to be $3,000 minimum. And I just had to have a root canal in Spain, uh, recently and same similar situation to what you just had, not quite as drastic on the pricing front, but after they did it, first of all, it was an amazing experience. Um, like the, the dentist that did it was the one who teaches the root canal procedure at the university in Valencia. And so I had like this incredible experience. It was in and out, um, no, like no pain whatsoever. It was just like, great. And it was 300 bucks. And I was like, this is insane. Like the, like the fact that, 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 that drastic, it was 3000 versus 300. Um, and you know, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Cause I don't want to like, you know, just turn this into one of those conversations, but, um, that's a, that is a big reason why people are looking to leave. And this is something that I want to dive into with you because you've now been in Portugal for a while. You're already educating tons of people through, through your blog and the, and the presentations you give and everything, which is all really, really awesome and super high quality content. Um, but you're in this place that has become like a Mecca for, for people to move abroad to the people that have these pain points and are looking to whether they're running from something or running to something, Portugal's, Portugal's a place they're, they're running to. Um, and so I would love to kind of like educate people a little bit, because I know a lot of people are interested in moving to Portugal, like a little bit about their options, um, what you can share in that regard. And, uh, and I know you've got some stuff coming up that we want to get to, uh, also and kind of share like, you know, how they can go a little bit deeper, but, um, let's just kind of like, I'll leave it there kind of broad and, uh, and, and we'll see where we go. Yeah. Um, one of the most exciting things that happened last year was Portugal finally, um, announced and implemented their digital nomad visa. So that was something that had been highly anticipated by a lot of people, um, who, um, I'll back up for a second because what was happening was especially during COVID, a lot of people decided they were going to move to Portugal. They just wanted space, sunshine, you know, they wanted to be able to sort of hide from the pandemic, I guess. But if they were actively working, they didn't technically qualify for what's called the D7 visa, which is a passive income visa. But because so many people were applying and there was no active digital nomad visa to choose from, they were allowing people to apply through the D7 who either had some passive income, but also still some active income, or they were just people like me that had active income that could prove a certain threshold of self-sustainability through uh, showing where your money's coming from and that it's not coming from Portugal. As long as your income was from outside of Portugal, they were considering that passive income for the sake of this D7 visa. But last year, they, um, I guess, announced and launched this digital nomad visa. So now there's an a, a real option for people who either want to come in with active income and they can prove that they make a certain amount each month with their client contracts or their pay stubs or you know what have you. Um, and they can choose to go the long-term route where they want to stay and have a residency visa for a two-year um, 
two-year time frame, similar to someone's coming who's coming in on a D7. Or there's a short-term digital nomad visa where if you want to stay for up to one year. Um, and essentially, the, the requirements are very similar to the D7. There's some nuances with how much money you have to prove that you can sustain yourself with each month and different housing requirements and getting the bank account. But now there is a distinction between having active income and having passive income. So the, the D7 will go back to, theoretically, will go back to being sort of a, like a retiree or let's say someone with online investments or things like that, where they truly do have passive income. The D7 will continue to be for them. And this new digital nomad visa, which some people are calling now the D8, is going to be more geared toward people who are, maybe they want to stay for longer than a year, but they really just want to continue working remotely with whatever job they have set up where they're coming from, um, but they want to do it from Portugal. So those are the two, I think, most popular visas. Um, but that was a really exciting thing last year. I remember I was like, I got to get this up on the blog because people are going to want answers and know how to how to deal with this new visa. Um, and then something that I guess not everybody would think it's super sad, but I thought it was sort of like the end of an era. Um, earlier this year, they announced that they will no longer be granting golden visas, which essentially were residency by investment, meaning you could buy property at a certain um, financial threshold, or you could buy into uh, a trading fund, a pre-approved trading fund here at a certain level, or you could um, donate to certain uh, philanthropic uh, programs that were you know, run by the government at a certain level. And essentially, you would be granted this golden visa, which allows you residency, but without the requirement that you be in the country for very long. So the golden visa was great for people who wanted to have residency and then potentially get their citizenship and a passport later on without having to actually be in Portugal. So especially people who knew they were going to be retiring in a few years, but they weren't ready to move now, but they were ready to get the process started. Um, they relied on that golden visa, which I was just informed today that it's going to be extended for another 45 days or so. So it's not the last, um, it's not the last days quite yet, but anyone, if you're listening, if you want a golden visa, get on it because you've got probably by the time this airs, you know, a month or less left to uh, get the process started. Um, it's becoming a lot less popular because they have these newer visa options. But um, I know there's a lot of people who, you know, with the financial means who are going to be disappointed that this is going away. Definitely the the end of an era. I think that was like the beginning, like those that was the first stage of a lot of these, um, like the entryway into exploring different types of visas that you could a country could offer to attract foreigners. And then it was like, oh, this kind of works. What if we attract people who are actually still working or people who have pensions? And um, so that was sort of the launching pad in a lot of cases. And uh, I know for a lot of people, yeah, it's a bummer. And then, and for a lot of uh, locals, they're they praise it. And so, you know, p- different different uh, vantage points, I guess, depending on where you're coming from. But um, anyway, <laughs> I think the, it's uh, for the government is finally starting to understand that you know the country needs to to just crack down a little bit more on how many people are coming in. Like they did their job, they got people in, they got money in, but now it's the balance is not quite there. So they need to just figure out what is the balance. And this was, in my opinion, their first step at just trying to get this, the situation figured out that you and I were even just speaking about a few minutes ago. Yeah, totally. I I mean, I think that's like a lot. I think the correct narrative is that this is not like the fault the rising cost is not like the fault of the foreigners who came in with a lot of money. Like that's the government set it up to do that. And then they just didn't put the right safeguards in place to make sure that uh, it didn't get out of control. And um, so they're doing that now to their credit. Like it's, it's uh, 
just because it's being talked about a lot and because it's top of mind at the moment doesn't mean that it's a, a failure or anything. I mean, it's a, it's something that's going to ebb and flow. Um, these things do. So anyway, it'll be interesting to see how the how they react. But they've they've definitely done a good job in terms of accomplishing their goal to bring foreigners in. And uh, and there's a lot of people there like yourself, kind of loving loving life in Portugal and speaking very highly of it. It becomes several places across the country are constantly at the top of nomad list um, showing where where foreigners are and it's popping up as the uh, internations is the top country in the world to move to um, so you know I, they've, they've done a lot right in the, in that regard yeah I think I think you're right and they'll they'll figure out the balance it's just gonna take a little bit of time but yeah back in 2012 the first time I visited Portugal, I swear everyone looked at me and my two girlfriends who I was traveling with like we were aliens. Like, why are you here? Like, why not? We, we thought we, would, we wanted to come check it out. We saw you know, pictures and it was on TV and it was beautiful and we wanted to explore somewhere we'd never been. Yeah, but why Portugal? Well, what do you mean? Why Port- Literally, they, they did not understand why we, were, why we would choose to come and be a tourist here. It was a little wild that they just didn't understand it. Um, and now I would say, you know, probably the opposite is true. There's too many tourists coming in. Um, especially if you're in Lisbon, you know, it gets pretty overrun, um, Kishkais as well, but for, I think different reasons, but, um, yeah, the trajectory of how popular the, the country is, is just, I don't know. It's wild for 10 years ago, for it to be like unknown to Americans and for Americans to be like, you know, a three headed witch coming in saying like, hello, we're here. Everybody's like, who are you? Why are you here? Um, to now it just being normal, just normal to see so many people interested in, in moving and visiting. Um, it's great. I think it's great. I mean, what what I've tried to do is come in and learn about Portuguese life and try to integrate into actual Portuguese life. And I think where people, the locals um, and the people who've lived here their whole life, where they get annoyed is and really frustrated and sometimes even angry is when people come in from outside of Portugal and they try to essentially mimic the life that they had wherever they came from but here in Portugal, because it's cheaper or the wet, the weather is better, stuff like that. So I think that that's where they get frustrated when they just can tell that somebody is only wanting the same exact life that they had, but with the benefit of it being, um, at the expense of the Portuguese people, which is no way to come into a country and, and act. So, um, I hope if anyone's listening, please don't do that. Come in, learn the language enjoy the the local people i mean that's one of the charms of portugal is yeah that's, that's one of the charms of portugal is that the people are just so welcoming and friendly so like i've i've made these comments to the, some of the local people that i know and they're like no no no, we don't we don't mind that people come we want people to come we like showing off the, the fact that people want to come and see our country and learn about our um, our history is great it's just whenever they don't appreciate it that's the problem. Yep. So, yeah, you see this a lot, right? Like people, people go to get abroad and then they want to like impose their expectations on a new place. And it's like, why'd you come if you didn't want to, uh, embrace the, the differences in the culture? Like you should, you should stay home if, if you want everything to be the same. Um, and by, by the, for the most part, I've, you know, I find people do do that, but you always have those, uh, those that, their expectations are not met and, and it's always quite confusing. Like what, what were you expecting exactly? Um, but I, I wanted to actually ask you another question about the, uh, the D seven versus the D eight or the, the digital nomad visa. Is there, um, is there any, like, like, would you say it's advantageous because as you mentioned, like a lot of people who were not technically 
D7ers. Um, they weren't pensioners, retirees, passive incomers. They were active incomers. Um, we're using that before, and that was working very, very well for them. I think, like everything from the 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 bureauc- bureaucratic standpoint, from a tax standpoint, from um, every every aspect, it was like this works well. But the government creates this new one that actually is for people with active income. Um, and we had a similar situation in Spain. And the narrative in Spain is that the non-lucrative visa, which was the version of the D7 in, in Spain, was actually like a better situation. It was easier to get. Um, it was less bureaucratic. It was better from a tax standpoint, all these things, than the new digital nomad visa. So people aren't really excited about the digital nomad visa in Spain. It's more of like a Oh man, we got to shift from the non-lucrative to the to the digital nomad visa. Okay, I guess I will. Um, so, what is the narrative like in in Portugal around this transition? Um, I think because it gives you the opportunity to either choose short term or long term based on what your personal goals are. I think that was something that people were looking for. Something that was longer than a tourist visa, but shorter than the D seven. Mm-hmm. Um, because they weren't necessarily looking to live here for the rest of their lives. They just wanted to be able to stay for a year. And they, they had had a version of that out before, but it was, um, really clunky in the way that you applied for it. So not many people really even knew about it and they didn't know how to apply for it. Um, but I think the narrative here is that, Let's get the D7 back to what it was originally intended for. And then if people are coming in with active income, let's have those people, I guess, tagged, if you will. You know, these are people who are still working. Um, They're still going to have to figure out their tax situation. Um, But they just, I think, really wanted to give people the opportunity to have a shorter stay that is still, you know, legal. I think people were coming in, especially throughout COVID, were coming in and overstaying their visas because they either couldn't go home or they couldn't figure out a way to stay legally. So they were just staying and then having to figure it out. Um, But even for us, when we applied for the D7, we did have one small bit of passive income, which I think, you know, does technically qualify, but it wasn't the right amount. We needed more passive income. So we of course had to um, show proof of our active income, but and because this new digital nomad visa is so new, even the different um, processing centers throughout the U.S. So I'm not sure about Spain, but I know for Portugal they contracted with VFS, and so when you're applying for visas, you very rarely apply to the actual consulate um, unless you're in a couple very specific situations. Um, you usually have to apply through one of three VFS offices. There's one in San Francisco, there's one in New York, and there's one in Washington, DC. And they're all, um, certain states and locations are beholden to those offices. Um, but I think what was happening was people didn't know what else to do other than apply for the D7 because there really weren't any other options. And so they were just getting flooded with applications that weren't quite right, but they didn't really know what to do with them either because they couldn't, they could turn them away, but not with a great reason to say like, well, you don't really qualify because they didn't have anything that they did qualify for. So, um, Anyway, long answer to say, I think what's happening is they're just trying to get people into the right lane um, for the applications. And that way um, they can handle them differently where they need to be handled differently. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Like a digital nomad doesn't need to go and get a 12 month lease that defeats the purpose of being a digital nomad, right? Right, right. Yeah. As a D7 applicant, you have to have a 12 month lease in place for your application. So, um, the D seven, they really cracked down and made people sort of prove that they were willing to go through with it. You had to have a 12 month lease. You had to put this much money in your bank account in Portugal. Um, you just really had to go all in and prove that you really wanted to be there. Whereas the digital nomad visa is a little more flexible in that, you know, you can, it's okay if you're only going to be here for a year and you don't plan to stay, that's fine. Let's just know that. Yeah. 
That's a good point. I think I think separating out that the the true intent there with being a digital nomad and having more of a short term approach as opposed to the long term that uh, the non lucrative in Spain or the or the D seven in um, Portugal is is uh, is really targeting there. Is it also is the is the new digital nomad visa um, is it renewable or is it like one year capped or do you transition to something else? Do you know? You can renew it, and depending on if you're in the the short term version or the longer term residency um, version of that visa, you would renew it for either two years for the long term visa. Um, sorry, you get the initial residency card for two years and then you renew it for a three-year stint. And then after five years, you can apply for permanent residency or citizenship. So same as the D7. It's just basically classifying your your income in the right way. Um, and then for the short-term one, I believe it's for one year, to, up to one year to start, and then you can renew it for another year. After that, I'm not sure. I mean, I would think that maybe they'll either bump you over to the long-term visa if you wanted to stay longer than that or, you know, potentially renew you for another year. Um, Either way, if you're here for that long and you're in the country for so many days a month, like you're going to have to pay taxes. So it's just up to you, like how how permanent do you really want it to be? Like if you're really a digital nomad and you're traveling around, but maybe you want Portugal to be your base for one reason or another. Um, you just have to kind of know the nuances of uh, how to, how to set yourself up here as a worker or freelancer or tax resident or not tax resident. (laughs) Those are all important, important things to think about. Well, those are very complex topics that, um, that I know you, you can help people with. And I know you've got some, some uh, a summit coming up and some you know additional information that you can provide. So rather than us trying to hash out every little detail um, for a multitude of situations uh, here on the podcast, let's um, could be a good way to to wrap things up here. Just let people know where they can learn more about what you've got coming up and uh, and where they can follow along, and then they can come to you to get all the the details. Because I know you can you can answer these questions a lot better than I can. <laughs> Yes. And it is such a complicated thing, but when you have the right information, it's actually quite simple. It's just what ends up happening is there's a lot of information that floats around the internet and there's government websites that are hard to understand. And there's people that will say, Hey, I I have all the answers. Um, And even with my blog, What's been troubling for me is making sure I have the right information because I won't publish something unless I know that it's right. And that whether that means getting it checked by a professional or an expert or doing you know hours and hours of research, it's been hard to get, you know, as much information up on the blog as I could possibly want because there's so many great things to talk about. Um, so what I have coming up instead of me, um, boohooing myself for not getting all the information up or not getting the right experts um, involved. I have an online summit coming up. It's called the Portugal Plan Virtual Summit. And I have more than 45 speakers coming with me to this virtual summit to speak about anything and everything moving to Portugal. We have people, uh, probably three or four people coming to talk about education. We have people like immigration lawyers and real estate agents and people who I trust because I've either worked with them or I know someone who has worked with them with great results. Um, These are not people who are going to be pushing expensive relocation packages or immigration services. Uh, This is really just a place for people to get answers. Um, they're hard to find sometimes. So I wanted to bring together all the right people to talk about all the the issues that people have when they're trying to plan their move to Portugal. Um, and when you have the right information, you can stop researching and you can just start taking action, which is what I really hope people will be able to do after this event. Um, but before I get into that a little bit deeper, if you want information about the event, you can go to my website. It's www.renovatinglife.com. 
and sign up for the email list because I'll be sending out emails and information, all the details uh, within the next couple of weeks. So by the time this airs, all the information will be up on the website. And if you want to sign up for the summit, you can go to theportugalplan.haysummit.com. I know Chase is going to put this all in the show notes, but I'll say it one more time, theportugalplan.haysummit.com. And you can sign up there. Registration is free. Um, that comes with a limited amount of sessions that you can attend. And then there will be some VIP options as well. But 45 people talking about literally every topic you can think of when it comes to moving to Portugal and getting set up you know, in this new wonderful country. So I hope you guys will check it out. And please feel free to email me anytime. Like literally I get emails and DMs and Instagram all the time, people asking questions and I always respond. So if anybody's out there going, Oh, I wish I could just talk to you. Like just, just message me. <laughs> That's awesome. I love when people are are so willing to build in public and, and share what they're doing. You know, it's, I mean, you have to, we all have to make a living and, and our time is valuable, but there's also a place for just like wanting to pay it forward. When you've been through some of these challenges of, of making this lifestyle work, there is like a inherent part of you that just wants to pay it forward and, and help people um, achieve the same thing. So uh, that's really great that you're, you're taking the initiative to do that and, and we'll, uh, we'll respond to people. Uh, we will have all of those links in the show notes. So if you're, uh, if you want to learn more about the options to move to Portugal, um, whether that be for a, a short stint or, or a lifetime, uh, then it sounds like this is the place to go. Um, Allison, this was awesome. So, so good to catch up with you. I'm Really, really happy that it's worked out as well as it has. And you guys are thriving there in Portugal. I've, I'm going to continue loving following the journey. And uh, we'll be spending some time there later this year. So I'll have to uh, be in touch in person when that happens. Yes, absolutely. We have to catch up in person, have some wine or coffee or beer, or beach time or whatever it is, whatever you're into. Yeah, whatever you're into. Uh, yeah, I got into this to help people. That was the the reason I started the blog was because I needed someone to help me and I couldn't find anybody. So that's that's what it's all about. Awesome. Well, it shines through. Um, so yeah, genuinely, thank you from from myself and everybody else listening who appreciates that. Um, and uh, yeah, let's let's keep in touch. Have a have a great rest of the day. We'll we'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in today from wherever you are in the world. Once again, I'm Chase, and this has been another episode of About Abroad. For those of you wondering how you can best support the show, I have made it super simple for you. Just go over to the show notes of the episode that you just finished listening to and click on one of the two following links. Aboutabroad.com slash newsletter to get our monthly newsletter. No spam, guaranteed. Or ratethispodcast.com slash aboutabroad, where you can quickly and easily leave a review for the show. It's not just important to me. It also helps more wanderers just like you find us. Finally, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And we will see you again next week. Thanks again. Hasta luego, amigos.